All right. Well, the Center for Coastal Studies has named Mark Adams as its first scientist slash artist in residence. He was employed by the Cape Cod National Seashore as a cartographer for 30 years. He's collaborated frequently on Center for Coastal Studies projects as a scientist. And now the center is thrilled to establish a new chapter in the partnership and Mark Adams will be creating public programs that merge the center's scientific work with the creative arts. So welcome to Arts Week, Mark Adams. That sounds fabulous. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really pleased. It's su such a good place to be, to kind of combine the institutions that I love here in Provincetown that are like deeply rooted in the env environment. So for, for people who don't know about you, I, I, I find this really interesting because um, I think that most of, well, many, if not most people think of science on one hand and art on the other hand, and never the twain shall meet. They're different parts of the brain. They're different skill sets. And yet you are the epitome of a merger of the two. So let's talk a little bit about that first and how that works for you. Well, um. You know, I've actually I I did a, a coastal studies talk at Nappies recently um, about that about what is the scientific method and what is the artistic method, mm -hmm. and um, both there's things they have in common. One of the things that they have in common is that um, in both you're speaking to a community. Um, you know, scientists. Well, in both they start with observation. They start with. Uh, really looking and being and opening up your awareness to the world. Uh, scientists do that with forms of measurement, uh, but artists do the same thing. You know, they document the world, they experience it and document it through observation. And then in both cases, you form a question and then you test that question with your work. So uh, an artist might say, here's my question, here's my theme, you know, here's my mode of observation and my tools are you know, either oil paint or uh, a sculpture or whatever. And then, you know, really you need a community to uh, respond to that. And in science, the community are your are critics and they test your, your results and see if they're repeatable, see if they can experience the same thing. Right. And in art, that's, I think the conversation artists have with the audience through a gallery show or a salon, um, there's so much going on in Provincetown right now with people having that conversation around art. And so mm -hmm. it's really cool. I really think the community aspect of the conversation is um, uh, kind of exciting. Yeah, and I can see where that would apply to both sides, even though it's a slightly different community that you're, um, quote unquote, being reviewed by in a sense that that um, in science, it, it really definitely is your peers. But um but it's still a conversation. I like that because I, I will be honest with you. I don't think much of science as being a, a conversant kind of thing, uh, you know, mm. yet it is. I, I, I get that. That's fascinating. Well, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you come to be here, um, here being Provincetown, but also here being this intersection of, of science and art? Um, you know, I've kind of like a... Um, a been on the tightrope between these two points for a long time. Um, I, you know, I studied ecology, landscape architecture, planning, and um, and I had a computer background. And you know, I was always frustrated because I, 
I was born into the arts, really, in my family, um, my brothers, my father, my parents. But um, I was good at science. So in school, they push you to do that because it's mm -hmm. somehow more valued. Yeah. Uh, so I never it's got a, to take it's an It's a real class. profession <laughs> as opposed yeah, to an artist, it's, right? It's, it's called a solid subject. Right, you know? right. The solids. But um, so I always had to do art on the side. But at one point, I got a job doing uh, scientific illustration uh, for a study of fish eggs of of uh, the early life stages of fishes. So I spent four years at a microscope drawing fish eggs and all the little hatchlings, all the stages of development, including all of the estuarine fish like striped bass and salmon. And, and it was thrilling to actually tell a story about these animals that had never been told before. Um, but it kind of drove me nuts because there, it's very strict uh, uh, discipline. And what I wanted to do after that was just draw as big as I could and with as much of my body as I could instead of these little tiny things. Um, you know, in landscape architecture, I also thought that uh, that would be a way to combine art and science. Mm -hmm. And um, it kind of led me to mapping. And, you know, mapping is, is kind of a great platform because um, you, it puts you in a journey in the world. You know, so many people, as soon as you mention mapping, people go, I love maps. And I wonder if they know why they love maps, you know, but it's a it's a way to enact the natural world. Mm -hmm. You know, a map is an approximation of a journey. And, uh, and so I'm looking for all the ways I can use art to step through that journey of the natural world. I'm also a big believer in how we're animals. You know, we have evolved as a certain kind of animal in the world and we're tied to nature. Uh, but um, how do we be good animals? And we are good animals by, um, by being open, by looking, uh, by adapting to the natural world. That's a really interesting expression, being a good animal. Wouldn't that be lovely if we all took that to heart? <laughs> this conversation, all right. So what you just said, I could go off in 18 different directions because it's all fascinating. <laughs> but I do want to I, I do want to speak for a moment to the the maps and the cartography, um, which you do so beautifully. And I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I remember growing up having a globe in my family home. And there's something about being able to say, you know, this is where I am. This is who I am almost, that there's a place for me there. Um, but I recently was looking at Jane Paradise's new book, which is absolutely phenomenal. And I see that you did the work at the, uh, in, in, the in the front of that um, mapping again. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um. Yeah, that was really fun. I have always admired Jane Paradise's, you know, and she, her pictures of the dune shacks are about a life in the dunes. You know, they convey and it, just a domestic, this, the dream, I think, that we have, that Cape Codders have is, is to, to live in a domestic environment that is inhabited by nature. And that's what the dune checks are, that all of the barriers between you and nature are are kind of stripped away and you're in it. And um, so I loved her work and uh, and and I wanted to draw so the map that I drew for her is hand drawn. It's a pencil map and it's um, meant to be that to, for me, that's a language 
uh, that makes the map accessible. Because you make a perfect map, you know, there's all kinds of ways to distance yourself from the information. So I think this hand drawing it, hand lettering it, um, makes me feel like I'm taking a walk in the dunes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about that. I think that's interesting that that there are ways to distance yourself from it when it's when it's perfectly printed or or mass produced. How does that work? Yeah, I mean. Um, Let's see. You know, well, one of my um, artistic practices is to keep sketchbooks. Okay. And to um, uh, my sketchbook practice, which I started in my travels. I've been, I'm a big traveler and I've used it to document trips. And, you know, a lot of times when you're, um, when you're traveling, you're like, oh, this is too hard. I can't draw this. Or, you know, the, it's the winds blowing, the, the trains leaving, everything's Mm -hmm. stopping you from doing that. And I don't know. I want. I'm. Uh, I bet you have a practice of keeping your notes and stories on the fly, while because you have a vivid sense of that. Everything that you do, that you record, in the moment is much more valuable. You can try to be perfect. Usually, that means going home to a perfect little uh, drawing table with a um, straight edge and a pen, but to draw in the moment, even if it's imperfect, it's going to capture something real about how you uh, experienced, you know, what your body felt like in that moment. Um, And also I think this is one of the faults sometimes in science and also in these like, you know, perfect maps is um, the the perfection and the kind of like, what do we call it? Kind of like the, the expert, the, Expert symbolism, the uh, the the secret language that scientists sometimes use, the jargon or the 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 technical technical stuff is fascinating, but it also puts you off. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. We want stuff that um, is in our everyday language and our everyday experience. Um, that's one of the things that I go for. There's these well, fantastic that's what you're doing, isn't isn't it that's exactly what you're doing with both you know the work you do in science and in art and and their intersections making things more accessible to people and more welcoming to people at least that's my experience of what you do. I yeah that's that's what I'm trying to do and you know one of the things I've done a few times is make these giant maps on the floor did that at the Pam Museum mm-hmm. and I did that at the Cape Cod Museum of Art and so I have these 30 foot maps of the Gulf of Maine. And I keep, I roll them out in the parking lot of a school or a ferry terminal or whatever. And people walk around on them and it's like entering the world. You know, it's scaled somewhere between reality and that um, distilled map of that's more removed. So when you walk around in it, you know, it was really so fun to see a, have a, uh, a fishing boat captain walk around on my, my uh, seafloor map and say, oh, yeah, this is the basin where my boat got in trouble. And oh, uh, wow. so you kind of it's I don't know. Uh, it's a uh, um, it pulls you. In. It's a it's it's immersion is the yeah. one of that's one of my favorite um, themes in art is immersion. How do you get immersed in um, in an image? Uh, I think that one looks at Mark Adams's images. <laughs> that's, how, that's my answer. Well, that's how you get that's one way. <laughs> Maybe, hopefully. 
Well, let's talk a little bit more about the science side of things then. What have you been doing at the Center for Coastal Studies and what does this new position, you know, what are your kind of visions and ideas for it? Well, what's one thing that's thrilling about is I get to make it up myself. Yeah. And I have been working alongside Graham Geis, uh, the senior scientist in the um, the coastal geology program, has been my mentor for many years. He's he's into his nineties now, and he's so vital and always thinking. And we'd go on these walks, and he would explain the world to me <laughs> in so many ways. Um, and um, so I have that experience with the center, uh, but you know. One of the things I love about uh, field work in science is you get to see things that uh, that are right next, right outside your door, but you don't. Most normal people don't get introduced to them. Uh, you know what Can is it like? Give me an example of that. Well, I just went out with the um, right whale crew, mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know your audience. Uh, uh, let's say this. What this. This conversation is happening in the spring when the right whales return to Cape Cod mm-hmm. Bay and they're in the process of, you know, establishing their summer. And so I went out and we had a pristine glass-like day on the water with these scientists and they we saw a dozen right whales and there was nothing disturbing them or us and we were able to drift in close to them and see them feeding and follow them feeding. And then, you know, you know what they do is they throw in a net and they see what the whale is eating oh, and they collect okay. the plankton that the whale is eating. And, uh, and, and so I was there on the boat sketching in real time. Every time a whale would come up, they'd be one, there's one on the, on the starboard and one in the port and, you know, and, um, and you're there working and, feverishly. <laughs> they are working feverishly. And so am I, you know, to get, um, all of that action down in a, right. on a sketchbook page. Um, another thing that we did recently, so, you know, it's me shadowing the scientists at the center. Uh, we just, we had a trip to Cuddyhunk, an island in Buzzards Bay mm-hmm. that has, you know, almost no cars. A couple dozen people live there. But uh, the Marine Debris Program that Laura Ludwig runs mm-hmm. um, uh are trying to remove ghost gear and, and lobster traps from the beaches. Right. And that's great material for artists to make sculptures from, but it's, and it's also this incredible hazard for marine mammals entangling and, and it's a, it's pollution, you know? So there are thousands of traps on this little Island. And we spent a week out there uh, digging those traps out of the rocks and sand of the beach, crushing them and having them removed. But Alongside with me sketching and doing the work and getting my hands dirty were um, 15 uh, sound artists from Cornell who are mm-hmm. also doing a collaborative project. Uh, there's a, a, a professor there, Annie Lewandowski, who made a mass mocha uh, project out of whale song and nets. Oh, wow. That was really moving. It's called Sirens. You can look that up. It's online. Um, but hopefully... We'll all be able to collaborate. This is another thrilling thing is like, so we have science and measurement. We have um, painting and drawing. We have sound. We have sculpture. And whenever you can bring together all the the capacity of of artists from all these different mediums to create an immersive environment, you know, something magic happens. 
Yeah, I can imagine because a lot of us, I think, tend to kind of hang out with people who do the same things we do. You know, I find I have a lot in common with other writers and we have some of the same things that we talk about. But to be able to step outside that and say, you know, this is this is still this important domain, but it intersects with all these other parts of life. Um, I think you're really? honoring that in in a really visible and major way. Well, thank you. You know, I teach... Uh, summer workshops, usually they're a five-day workshop, uh, some at the Fine Arts Work Center and mm -hmm. at the, and I have done it at the PAM and, and at Castle Hill. But um, my Fine Arts Work Center class is focused on kind of retracing Thoreau's steps on Cape Cod. And mm -hmm. so it's a sketchbook class in the field on a walk. And it's usually, it's usually mostly writers that sign up for it. Interesting. <laughs> And they all sit there. And they learn the to sketch. <laughs> they say, I can't draw. I can't draw. Right. But, you know, what they have already, they come with this ability to observe mm -hmm. and this um, kind of um, impulse to um, be articulate about what they observe. And that's super helpful. Uh, in And what, the, the way I feel about drawing is it's sure it's a tool for artists, but it's a tool for uh, awareness for openness mm -hmm. to the world and we have drawing techniques that um you, you, any beginner can use observation to create a drawing that will get, contain tons of information and it just teaches you to look closely and really see things and that shows up on the page even if you don't know about proportion mm -hmm. or you know um, all the aspects of line and stuff it's, it's kind of about paying attention isn't it Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's yeah. what I would think. Well, I should tell listeners that we are actually pre-recording this conversation. And I know that on the 26th, I think, you're having a painting unveiled and you don't know yet which one it's going to be. But can we talk a little <laughs> bit about that anyway? And we have big speculation. And then when listeners hear this show, they'll say, oh, I know which one it is. Well, so I'm following in the very... Um, prestigious footsteps of Joe Hay, the artist Joe Hay, who was mm -hmm. artist of the year for the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod last year. And so I'm filling that role this year. And they commissioned a painting um, for their, they're actually, their their gala is June 1st in the, in, at the Hyannis Country Club. Um, uh, but um, we're unveiling that painting uh, yesterday, the 26th of <laughs> yeah, April. Yesterday. We are um, yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, you know, th what they've told me, this is an opportunity for me to um, to make a statement, really, in a in a form of a painting. And uh, one of the the my themes, I'm really trying to use art to say something both about this observation, but also about how we live in the world, how we are good animals. And one of the themes that's just really dear to me is uh Migration, immigration, refugees, asylum. And I'll just say this very briefly, but, you know, in ecology, in the animal world, more, so many animals, if, you if you're a bird watcher, you know this, um, they require these migration pathways mm -hmm. to, to live. Their life is centered on that. So they need uh, a corridor to migrate and they need a refuge at the end of that corridor. And if you apply that to people to humans to the populations on that are now 
uh, either stressed by environmental change, drought, but also by war and oppression. We have, right now, there are something like 30 million people who are displaced people in the world. Uh, much of that is seems to be due to politics and ethnic issues, but underlying all that is ecological migration, yeah. you know, climate yeah. change migration, which there's some people who say that 30 million people could rise to something like 800 million people within this century due to climate change, due to, um, you know, our environmental niche, the human niche in the world is shrinking. <laughs> and so I'm trying to find ways to convey that and um, not to, well, I love the way painting can create a narrative and also in the history of painting, you know, I, I, I love the, uh, the Renaissance painters and through painting, they create, uh, they elevate topics mm -hmm. to make them sacred. And a narrative painting, like a Caravaggio, there's a Caravaggio that's inspiring to me called Seven Acts of Mercy. And he did that as a plea for forgiveness um, in his life. You know, th those things don't matter to us now, but what does matter is how can you use painting to, to make a plea for mercy, for um, um uh, uh, to elevate yeah. the stories of people. And so I'm doing that. Uh, I'm trying to combine that, this idea of animals have migration patterns, humans do too. Also, one last thing is migration for humans is, uh, as is, is a hundred thousand years old. It's part of our nature. Right. I mean, everybody, if you go back less than two generations, there's a migration story in your family. And so if we see ourselves that way. As it's part our, of that continuum, yeah. It's a human right. And it's also just baked into our species story. You know, um, I. Uh, so people who want to close borders are, um, I think, need to be enlightened about human nature. <laughs> but I'll just say that. Uh, not to, to learn how to be better animals, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I love that you're getting accolades on on both of these sides and on the intersection of them. And um, I wish we had three more hours to talk because <laughs> I I so enjoy this. But um, I just I I guess my my last question to you and 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 we'll leave it at that is where do you see all of once we've talked about sort of where the human condition is going, which we all know as, as as not necessarily a happy ending um but as you're here on the cape which is one of the places that's going to definitely be an endangered spot from from climate change and sea seas rising um how do you think about that how do you think about the the future of this area that you love so much well it's uh requires us to adapt we there's there's a constant process of adaptation going on and, um, you know, you know, when it comes to climate change, we have to change our lifestyles um, to turn this thing around. But that's going to take a couple generations. Meanwhile, how do we adapt? And I actually think that Cape Cod is in some ways in a sweet spot because we're already connected to nature here mm -hmm. and we have abundant groundwater. We are we actually are 
not very densely populated compared mm -hmm. to other parts of the world. Um, and we live with storms, you know, we, um, it's, it's a part of life here. Uh, you know, I, I know it's, it's stress and for, uh, to have a power outage and stuff, but it's not very far in the past when people didn't have power at all. So right. Right. Um, we're connected right. to our resources here. So I think that's good for Cape Cod. Now, as far as the promised town waterfront, the Harbor, the center of town, if you look at that 150 years ago, it was everything was on pilings because every every structure had a wharf mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. connected to the water that way, and I think that's kind of what it might look like in another generation as people elevate those structures. Interesting. We we have an, we have another generation or two when we can adapt by raising structures, by building sand dunes, um, before we have to retreat <laughs> from the shoreline. Mm -hmm. And that shoreline will change, but um, but then it's not going to be. If you look at history, it's not such a new thing. The it Krausen will look like it has. Um, we're, so we're lucky in that way. Which it is really reassuring. Yeah, it it is. I mean, it's still the other issue that's be, that's underneath this is the economy and and class and and money. Um, so we need to you know, keep working to keep right. this place open for artists, open for uh, people who are not just wealthy tourists. <laughs> I don't need well, to Mark say Mark Adams, thank you so much for this conversation, <laughs> for being my guest. I so appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. And thanks to everyone for listening in. This has been Writing Muse and Writing Mentor. I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir. See you here again next time.